Hey there. Have you ever wondered what your business might be worth? The truth is, most of us can sell our e-commerce businesses. And in this episode, I'm talking to Ethan Alexander. He is a specialist in selling e-commerce businesses. So when you listen in, you're going to learn a quick way to calculate the value of your business today. And then we're going to walk you through five areas of your business that you can work on that will increase the value of your business and the saleability. Come listen. Wouldn't it be fun to know what your business is worth? Welcome to the e-commerce roadmap, the podcast for store owners who are growing their sales without spending a fortune on ads. Each week, you'll learn actionable strategies and tips that will fast track the growth and profitability of your e-commerce business. So buckle up and join your host, Susan Bradley, as we dive into the work that will grow your sales this year. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. Today, we're talking about how to make your business more valuable and more attractive to someone who might be your ideal buyer. And what I think is so important that so many of us miss when I'm talking to uh, our clients is that they don't even believe that their business is saleable. And what I'm here to share and my guest today is here to share is that absolutely most of these businesses are saleable. You're building an asset that you can sell, you can sell, but I think it's really important to prep for that. There are a lot of things that you can learn to do and implement into your ongoing business. going to make yourself or make your business a whole lot more valuable. And there's also some things you can do that would kill a sale. So we're going to talk about this today. So I want to introduce my guest. It's Ethan Alexander. He is from Quiet Light. I got to meet you, Ethan. Uh, I was introduced to you from a client, Renee Wood. And so uh, thank you so much for taking your, spending your time with me and uh, agreeing to come on the podcast. Well, thanks for having me. I'm really looking forward to talking more about business. I could legit talk about this stuff all day long, and I'm I'm probably a, a deal junkie in regards to business and acquisition. So this this is a blast for me. So thanks for having me on. Oh, thank you. I th- I don't think we have too many deal junkies in the group. So you're <laughs> not yet. Yeah, not yet. <laughs> well, talk about this for a minute, though. So let's talk. Tell us a little bit about you as an individual, and then a little bit about the company Quiet Light. Yeah, of course. So my background and kind of a quick 60 second pitch is I started my e-com kind of journey back in 2015, ended up building up a physical product e-com company, selling it a couple of years later. I then went on to build another e-com company, also selling that one. So you can kind of see there's been a trend established here. And then instead of starting companies, I started acquiring um e-com companies, as well as a couple of content companies. And so uh, personally, I've been very active in the building, growing, selling, acquiring uh, digital assets here in this space. And so from that, uh, kind of just naturally popped up where I started helping friends with with questions and kind of parts of their process when they were thinking about exiting since I had done it, so then started helping friends of friends. And it kind of just naturally progressed into a relationship and partnership with Quiet Light because one of the exits that I did have, I did use Quiet Light, had a fantastic experience. A lot of reasons why I ended up partnering together uh, is is really due to the, the, the culture and like the who behind the scenes here. Everyone just comes from a open, honest, transparent approach. Uh, the the care for the clients is is unmatched in my opinion. And so for me personally, that was kind of a big uh, foundation of where I wanted to like approach clients and how I wanted to serve as far as like, you know, just treating them how I want to be treated. I'm, I'm not here to sell. I'm here to like support and grow businesses and help p- people figure out their goals. And so I really respected that about the, the culture here. Um, that's why I enjoyed the process so much on my end. Cause I know when going to sell specifically one of those companies, I probably interviewed probably a dozen brokerages in the space. Um, you know, and some would come off as like used car salesmen. Um, I didn't get that feeling at all. I got all my questions answered. I felt like there was good value add from like the services and the expertise that they had. And like, overall, like super happy I did it. And like, I wouldn't make another decision as far as selling, you know, personally myself. And so like being able to step into that role now as an advisor, in addition to like running my own companies, I think it just helps because everybody here on the team, does have their own background in business. They've all sold, built, 
acquired other businesses. And so everyone's okay. entrepreneurial here. And so we, you know, we, we have a lot of things going on, but from that, it's like the experience we all bring collectively to the table. It's really helpful. And, you know, a, a lot of my conversations, like people are impressed because I, I know the lingo, I know what's going on. We can talk in acronyms and like carry out a full conversation, not yeah. even saying a word. And so from that aspect, it's really helpful because that's how we're able to strategically position businesses to to increase valuation specifically from the experiences that I've had yeah. in the past and that I continue to build up with running businesses. Yeah, I love that. So you were a customer first and you understand the space like 100%. And so, yeah, you do know all the weird little things. Although <laughs> I have to share that you did with some acronyms by me before we started recording that I'm like, yeah, I don't know what that that's, is. And that's, that's okay. So, sometimes I don't even realize what <laughs> I'm saying. So, so you just, you just have to, you just have to put me on pause. <laughs> yeah, really. But listen, here's what this uh, conversation is so important to, um, to those of you that are listening, even if you're not thinking about selling. Number one is I feel like for us as, as self-employed people, with our businesses, we have a huge investment, an investment in time in our business, but also an investment in money. And particularly with product-based businesses, we can get a paycheck from those businesses so we can earn a living from our businesses. But what we can't ever do until we sell or liquidate is what we can't do is we can't really recover that original investment in the business and, uh, really get paid for all the time and sleepless nights you've put into your business. And so, you know, as most of you will know that I have sold multiple businesses too. And I would say that's what creates wealth in your life. Would you agree, Ethan? Oh, absolutely. I know, you know, most like millionaires in the US, if you look up the statistics are from from real estate, but as far as the largest amount of wealth, it always comes from business. And so, you know, even even if that's small, or if it's large, it's like business is such a big proponent, especially selling once you sell a business and like having that liquidation, that exit event. um, That's basically the best way to to create wealth. And a life changing, right? Thing. So, mm-hmm. you know, even if you have a small business, like you don't, it's not a multi-million dollar business, even an exit of a couple of hundred thousand dollars changes your life and opens up so much more opportunity for you. So it's absolutely worth listening to, even if you're sitting there thinking, well, my business, no one would buy my business. <laughs> <laughs> I think you'd be surprised. But here's what I want to do today. I want to just speak with Ethan about really the the things, the things that are important not only important at the end of the day when you go to sell, but that you should start working on now, that you should really be clear on now. And so Ethan's brought five, I asked him to bring a list, five things to the table. And they're things that I want you to know about. So Ethan, I'm just going to ask you to go through your list slowly, (laughs) one at a time, what the thing is and why that's important to us as uh, e-commerce business owners. Absolutely. No, let's, let's dive into it. So if you don't mind, Susan, uh, I'll take a couple of minutes and lay a foundation sure. here just so uh, listeners understand how valuations work. Because I think that's also super important and it'll help put perspective onto everything I also want to cover as far as how to improve business valuations. So really starting off as far as like why people sell other than kind of what Susan was talking about in regards to, hey, it's nice to have a liquidation event. Typ- typically, the reasons are either one or a combination of time, money, or energy. Time from the perspective of, you know, maybe you have a life event that causes disruption of time to be able to work on a business or time in the aspect of, you know, we're entrepreneurs. We have a lot of opportunities usually, and sometimes we have our eye on something else and lose passion in a business. And so that can also be a function of time, um, money. Sometimes businesses, especially in the physical product e-com space, they're growing very quickly. A lot of that goes back into inventory, which not a lot of people mm-hmm. talk about. And sometimes people are, you know, have to take out loans. They don't have the financial means to support the growth for the company. So that is often sometimes a cause for liquidation events. You know, sometimes people are purchasing such large inventory that they're just not comfortable with the size and scale of the business anymore from a personal financial perspective. So I see that as a common reason. And then energy, you know, sometimes we get burnt out. I've been there myself where I'll be working on a business for a couple of years. And after the, after those few years, I'm like, I just, I just really don't want to spend every day in this business anymore. So I've been there myself, totally get the kind of the burnout situation. So usually if a function of like 
one or more of those reasons pops up, that's usually when people start thinking about, okay, what can I do with my business? What do the next steps in life look like? Um, so that's kind of the foundation of like the why for most people or like what, what kind of drives that? Because if, if none of those, you know, areas pop up, it's like businesses are wonderful. Um, investment vehicles, wealth creation tools. It's like, uh, the getting the returns that you get on a business when it's healthy and growing and doing well, it's really hard yeah. to replicate. So like normally having a business is just a super valuable asset. And so that's why they're sellable. Um, and so it, going into valuations and how these work, there's really two main components that factor into evaluation. It's, it's a little math equation that we're going to be playing with today. And so essentially valuation is made up of SDE, which is seller's discretionary earnings. And essentially what that is, is if you look on your PL, a uh, simple breakdown is you'll have your income to start. Then under it, you'll have your COGS. That'll get you your gross profit. And then kind of under there, you'll have all your operating expenses. That'll get you to your net profit. So we'll add another section kind of below that called addbacks. And addbacks are really non-necessary operational business needs that we as business owners take in our business because we can primarily for tax incentive reasons. Um, owner salary, if we're doing auto lease, if we're paying for health insurance for our family, it's like there's all these, there's a whole bunch of classifications of addbacks that we can get into in a different time. But essentially there's some of these expenses that we're taking that aren't technically necessary for the business. So good news is you're not, you're not uh, deducted. You're not hit valuation wise from doing some of those tax incentivized structures as far as how you're expensing things on your business. So that's that's one component is this SDE, seller's discretionary earnings component. So basically that equals to your net profit plus your addbacks on your PL that I kind of ah. mentioned before. And then secondarily is the multiple. Now the multiple is is a wide range of like what constitutes. It's basically everything else about the business. So we have like the business financials, which is the SDE. And then we have the business fundamentals, which is this multiple component. So, I mean, we're talking about business age. We're talking about the industry you're in. We're talking about like the brand that you have and like the strength of that brand. We're talking about like the size of your business as far as like revenue and bottom line. We're talking about monetization methods, sales channels, growth rates, margins, marketing, um, products and like product line breakdown, supply chain, IP, team, owner role. Uh, even like owner personality comes into play in things like this, uh, SOPs, and then kind of some of the other points that we'll be talking about later. But all of these really create uh, create a multiple for a business, and then it's it's very dependent, kind of all in all those factors. As you can kind of see, it's going to range wow. a lot for each specific business. Most most business in the physical product ecom space will fall between two and four right now. Um, usually, the average is between two point five and three point five. But um, so. You know, all those will help factor yeah. into where it's going to go. So, question actually, just give everyone yeah, clarity. So, what Ethan's talking about is a multiple, I believe, of your net profit of your SDE. Okay, so SDE is the uh, owner adjusted. So, tell me what SDE yes. is. So, that's that seller's discretionary oh, earnings I was describing before. So, that's that net profit. Plus all plus the, those so, when I talk to someone about Correct. selling the business, I'm like, get all that crap off your, <laughs> off your income exactly. statement. And what you're saying is identify <laughs> that crap, <laughs> pull it out, track it, make sure it's legal, and that you can actually add back into your, your gross profit. And that's S. Yes. DE seller discretionary income. And so you're looking at this on an annual uh PL. Mm -hmm. So say my exactly the trailing yeah, 12 months. Say my yeah. business, my my um profit based or my product-based business, my brand, let's say, my brand's profit at the end of the year with all my my SDE, let's say it's two hundred thousand. So you're looking at a selling price of Four hundred to six hundred thousand is that is that about right? Yeah, that multiple on that business would be two okay. to three in this in this example. Okay, Correct. and then yeah. my next question is, where does inventory fit in? Because I've sold businesses with inventory included, mm -hmm. and I've also sold business with inventory as a separate transaction. So let's talk about that. 
Yeah. So this specifically what I'm referring to and Susan just brought up, it would be exclusive inventory. So this would just be the value for the business. So the inventory itself is going to be valued at your landed cost of goods sold. Basically, you're reimbursed for that yeah. inventory. Now, there is kind of almost like a statute limitations on that yeah. in the sense of most buyers are going to, as far as amount of inventory, most buyers are going to want you to have usually around a little above like a kind of a lead cycle for inventory yeah. orders, meaning mo most people it's around two to three months. So if we have between like three and four months of inventory per SKU, that's kind of ideal. If we go above six, that's where we might start having issues in far, as far as having terms brought to the table for what is called quote unquote excess inventory, basically that inventory per SKU above six month run rate. And so that's ideally what we have. So in Susan's example, if we have a $200,000 um, SDE business in the last 12 months. And it has, let's say, let's say a three multiple that put us at 600,000. Let's say there's additional 50 grand worth of inventory and all that's sellable with, you know, that kind of three to four month ideal window. Then we're talking about that 600 plus that 50 would be 650 as far as like total deal value for the seller okay. here. You're going to, people are going to love this. They all ran to get their pens, their replay. We'll put it all also in the show notes for you guys. We'll put, um, we'll actually put a link to it. We'll do a whole um, page on this on our website. So, and with Ethan's contact information. So you'll be able to go back and take a look at your business. So thank you for that. That was a great explanation. I really appreciate that because it's, it's everybody's first question, but it's one of those questions you're almost embarrassed to ask. You're like, mm. mm -hmm. <laughs> Does it sound like all I care about is the money? <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it's important because it I mean that's, that's that's a big driving bottom line factor into all of this. And so, yes, a lot of this, like you said, is it's very yeah. number heavy and like accounting based. Um, there's also like soft parts of it, but surprisingly, like a lot of it does come yeah, to the numbers. So if you don't like numbers, ho ho hopefully you like lie. them for, you know, the money purposes here. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so I let's keep that. going. So let's talk about these five key areas that Wonderful. we can work on now that make our businesses more valuable in the future, or if we ignore them could potentially be deal breakers for us. Sweet. Let's do it. So as far as like kind of the fine main five, excuse me, main topics I want to cover, uh, one's going to be financials, two is going to be risk, uh, three is going to be growth, four is going to be transferability, and five is going to be documentation. So starting off with financials, this is one of the most key aspects of, of any business. And it's often uh, part of, as, as far as my time involvement, like working with buyers, especially in the beginning, a lot, of, a lot of our time is actually spent here getting to understand the full picture financially correctly. Reason being is if we go back to how valuation is calculated, you can kind of see it's the two main components, that SDE and that multiple. And so a lot of the financials, yeah. half, of the, you know, half of that equation is SDE, which is all financials. So a lot of that plays into this. And so having your books done correctly, especially in the physical product e-com space, not all bookkeepers I've learned uh, know how to correctly account for this in the way that they should. So the correct terminology that you're looking for to specifically like have this done correctly is you really want your COGS, your cost of goods sold here done on an accrual basis not to cash basis. And so really quick, loose definition is accrual basis is we're expensing our cogs when they're sold. I sold five items today and they each cost me $10. I'm recording my today cogs as $50. Rather than on a cash basis, it's recording my cogs when I buy them. When I send that wire over to China, if I send 25K this month over to China, my books would tell me my cogs this month are 25K because that's when I sent the money. So we want actually our PL to tell us our cogs is when we when tied to when we sold that product rather than when we bought that product, because that actually gives us true uh definition of the profitability right. of the company rather than more of a cash flow basis PL. Now that cash flow basis PL is important to plan cash flow and to make sure we're not running out of money. So there is a reason why we have it and why bookkeepers will do it. Um, because you know, once our bank account hits zero, we're in a, we're in a really bad situation. But from a profitability perspective, that is what's used financially speaking for that SDE number for that valuation. So that aspect in itself is super important to be able to get your cogs on an accrual basis. I think that's the big takeaway and like a big proponent of where I see a lot of books needing to be okay, updated. Seriously? Here. That's shocking to me because that's just common practice. Yeah. 
So practice is mm-hmm. that your inventory sits on your balance sheet. You don't, you don't exactly. expense it uh, every, every month. And so if, if that's you, you need to get that fixed right away. Right. If your financials are a hot mess, number one, mm-hmm. most important thing for you to fix. True. And, and even as an owner of the business, mm-hmm. like you're thinking about this, so like you're like, driving a ship with a map that's incorrect if you're like you only have your financials on a cash basis rather than a accrual basis because you really don't know your true right. profitability you will in the long term figure out if you're winning if you're making or losing money based off what's going on in the bank account but in the short term it's really hard to do and so what we like to do is look everything on a monthly basis because that's going to tell us when we're comparing years together on a monthly basis with our financials done on a accrual basis that's going to tell us seasonality. That's going to tell us year over year trends. And so we not only break that down from a revenue perspective, we're also looking at this on a COGS perspective to figure out gross margin. We're looking at this from like an advertising perspective to see like how advertising as a percentage of revenue is increasing, decreasing kind of from month to month, from year to year. And then also like your SDE margin, which is basically kind of like your net profit margin as most people would understand it to be, is that, you know, we kind of see how that's changing and how that's being affected year over year. So it, it does help and trickles down into all these other areas on the PL that are often very important and helps gives you like kind of that key financial picture of like, was this a good month? You should be able to answer that objectively with numbers rather than I think so. So that's, that's kind of like the main important. So like to, to your question, Susan, yeah, it's like, it's, it's uh, very, it's very needed. And for your mental health, kind of because a lot of product-based business owners struggle with cash flow and that makes them feel like failing. Mm-hmm. And so if you walk around feeling like you're failing, but what you're really doing is spending all your money on inventory. <laughs> That's why you can't pay your bills or your VA. Um, mm-hmm. I think that I think that it helps you be make better decisions about what you're doing. Especially yeah. the long-term decisions. Yeah. Cause if, if you know like, hey, this investment, this 50K I'm sending over uh, to you know to China. There, there's a return on that on 4X and technically I'm right. profitable doing this. I'm just increasing the valuation of the business. You're like, great. There's a long-term strategic reason for me doing this, although I'm not benefiting right. in the short term. So it also helps like mentally in that frame of mind. Cause I know us entrepreneurs, usually we're very good at like delaying mm-hmm. gratification and even just knowing what we're doing objectively, like, okay, this, this is going to increase business valuation based off our growth. You know, let's say by 10 K a month, you know, I do this for the next 12 months. Cool. That's a six figure increase just on, just on valuation. Um, so even like having that mental clarity on what I'm doing now is preparing me for the future, like huge yeah. stress reliever. That's it's so good. Hard. Now, just to, um, Question, because I know there are people thinking this question, what percentage do you usually like to see of ad spend VS revenue? Like, So kind of the ballpark is, is around 15%. That that fluctuates based off a of brand and company. I'll see it for healthy companies. I can see it as high as like maybe 30. It also factors into the COGS margin here because... Uh, I mean, the greater margin that we have, obviously, the more we can afford to spend mm-hmm. on advertising. But you know, if, if we're if we have, let's say, an average COGS margin of sixty percent, and then the advertising spend is thirty percent, meaning we only have ten percent left on operating expenses, that company usually is right. very healthy or doing well because most buyers are going to want to see that SDE margin at fifteen one five percent or above. And so, like, there is there is room that we need profitability wise to speaking. So usually that magic number is around 15. Although sometimes I see brands, you know, kind of go up more from that number or, you know, below that number two and still be fine because it's in relation to everything else going on. Okay. So, uh, so we better keep going here. That was really good. I could talk about this all day with you. Let's talk about risk. Risk. Yeah. So the big question here to ask yourself is, is what makes my business or brand uh, unique and defensible. And really based off of that, lean into that. So I know, I know there's a bunch of different brands listening. So it's hard to like, you know, have something that will cater everybody, but thinking about that, that question that way is really going to be helpful. Really like what are your strengths and lean into those? Because the, uh, like kind of think of the secondary question on that is, is what are you dependent on for the business? Is and is this okay? And so what I mean by that. Uh, take a look at your sales channels, your marketing channels, your vendors, key relationships, employees, and see like if this were to go away, would that be okay? Could I transition or would it completely kill my business? So for example, Amazon FBA, there's a lot of businesses I see that are fully built on that system. Um, now, if that went away, would their businesses die? Yeah, pretty <laughs> much. In the industry right now, that when we're like selling businesses, is that okay? 
it is. So, so sometimes there's these weird correlations where even though that specific example, um, it is very dependent, but it's okay because in the market, it's been normalized as a normal business practice. And so for a more um, non-Amazon approach on Shopify, really kind of a big risk that buyers are seeing, and it's been this for the last couple of years since the last iOS uh, 14 update, is that having you know, a majority share of revenue come from Facebook yeah. ads because a lot of companies has just been so, you know, fluctuating yeah. up and down from month to month ever since those changes. That's been a big risk. And those businesses, the last couple of years have been a lot harder to sell than before all of these changes. And so like that dependability risk, that is a major risk to consider. And that will lower that multiple that we talked about lowering valuation if your dependency there is too high. And so go ahead and think about like, what else am I dependent on? Are there like any key employees that I'm dependent on? What happens if they leave? Is there any way to structure them so that they don't leave? Or if they do leave, any way to figure out what their knowledge base is and have that transferred over? And this will get into more documentation that we'll talk about a little bit later, but kind of like going through those key components or even like vendors, like your suppliers, like if I lost this supplier, could I find another? And so kind of thinking about, hey, what am I dependent on? That's going to help you identify the risks here involved potentially with your business. And now some risks will be greater than others. Some some make sense yeah. to people and some don't in the sense of like Amazon FBA versus the Facebook that I just mentioned. Two very different reactions based off the buy, buyers in the marketplace just due to the normalization, like what they're used to. But they, they are important yeah, to consider. And a lot of them are fixable. If you start now, you can mm-hmm. mitigate the risk going forward. Really good. Exactly. Let's talk about growth. Yeah, everybody's favorite. Like we we always want to grow, right? So so the key here is to focus on profitable growth. I know coming from if anyone comes from like a VC or they listen to, you know, those companies that are basically growth yeah, that's at all not costs. Us. That's not beneficial. <laughs> that's, not, that's a different that's a different industry. So un- understand that it's not that's not an apples to apples comparison. It's it's a different business model, it's a different industry, those are different valuations, those are different buyers. Just so segment those in your mind cuz cuz I know there is this um you know potential desire to like oh I'm going to go model off of mine because that's what I hear in the news. That's that's the sexy yeah. thing to talk about. Our industry is a little bit different. Our industry, the buyers are value, evaluating these companies, like I mentioned before, on profitability, on growth aspects, on like beneficial aspects. Because if you think about this from a buyer's perspective, why are they buying this company? You know, it's it's an investment decision. There's there's a re, there's a financial reason for it. There's you know financial benefit for them buying a company. And so because of that, that's going to help us identify. Okay, well we we want to have something to sell that obviously produces financial benefit not only for us while we're running it, but also for the next person taking it over. So when we're talking about growth and like timing of selling a company. The worst time to sell a company is when it's on a decline. And so specifically what I mean by that is when I'm looking at a company's financials, going back to what we talked about a little bit earlier, and I'm looking at the last trailing 12 months, and I'm looking at on, on a monthly basis, um, I'll be comparing you know January of this year versus January of last yeah. year, February of this year versus February of last year. And I'll do that for the last trailing 12 months. And overall, I'll compare this trailing 12 months to the previous trailing 12 months. So basically, that's a 24-month comparison. But I'm also doing those individual month-over-month comparisons. And so if those year-over-year comparisons, that's negative. That's normally not a good sign. And even if we had a slight trend, let's say the last three months, those have been negative compared to the last same last three month period of last year. That's normally not a good sign, even if overall, like we're positive from a 12 month perspective. So just kind of analyzing the, the monthly cycles and trends of a business, comparing it to the same month of last year, that's going to help you identify, am I growing? Am I declining? What does that look like? And so, cause, cause when we're trying to time these exits correctly, is that usually usually the best timing that I've seen been done is that when the rate of growth, so not the growth rate, so the rate of growth, we're kind of we're kind of in calculus here almost, but the rate of growth starts to decline. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> scary, scary stuff. So what I mean is like, you know, maybe like we're 20% year over year growth. Um, but then that like 20% starts to become, oh, maybe it's like 18 or 19 or 15. So like we're still growing. But like we're growing at a slower rate now. And so usually, if because if we were to graph that, we we kind of see the graph kind of like slope, its slope kind of start to flatten out a little bit. And so with that being said, 
usually from a financial perspective, that's right around the best time to to sell, assuming that like that can't be fixed. And like yeah. the, the entrepreneur, the seller here has kind of hit their limits as far as how far they're able to take the company because that maximizes valuation. The company is still growing. And so we don't want to hit that decline scenario ideally. And then that kind of puts the the valuation kind of at its optimal peak for, for most. And you cases. can control that. Mm-hmm. But I think as long as, long as you yeah. pay attention, yeah, yeah, have good financials. I have a meeting attention. with yeah. my um, my accountant every month and we compare those things. And I think that for anybody who's doing multiple six figures, this, that's an investment worth making in time. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I think I heard from you is that it's going to make your business more valuable if you have, like, don't grow $200,000 in sales in a year. If you're too, like, don't double your sales if it means that you're going to like sink the ship profit wise, right. it is far better to grow 10 or 15% a year, consistent growth and be profitable when you do it. So it's not like so many of us base all our success on our sales growth, which is dumb. <laughs> Say, <laughs> Well, that's, that's the question you always get. How big, like, is, how, it? How big is your company, right? Not, not how profitable right? is it or how many employees yeah. do you have? Because that just doesn't necessarily direct into profitability. Because I've seen large companies with large teams and yeah. they're not making a lot. And I've seen like little companies, husband and wife team, you know, they're pulling in multiple six figures. Like, wow, their business is actually more valuable than like this, lar- this large, yeah. better well-known company, um, which, which just shocks people to know like that's kind of how you can run things and like how you can increase valuation. Here. Not a smoke and mirrors game exercise. <laughs> yeah. Numbers really don't lie. So, okay, so let's talk about transferability. Yeah, I so think the, that's a biggie. Absolutely. Because, yeah, if a business isn't transferable, uh, you can kiss the sale goodbye because it's not going it's not to happen. So the, the main question here to think about is, would someone else be able to come in and run the business as well or as close as well as you can within the next couple of months? And if not, what are those areas that are preventing that and how can that be fixed? So some key things to think about here are our relationships, relationships with staff, relationships with vendors, relationships with like wholesalers, if you have those, really kind of how those relationships are established. Because let's say they're only working with you because of you, like, oh, hey, Susan, you're awesome. We love you. As long as someone else comes in the picture, like we'll always work with you. Right. Um, we, we, <laughs> we don't want that. And so it, we want to make sure that these relationships can transfer and that like their diehard loyalty isn't to you, but like there it's you know it's it's to the company they're working because of the company not necessarily because of you so that's that's always important to focus on um pricing making sure like your your cogs costs for your SKUs, that's going to carry over to a new buyer we want to make sure that that transfers because if it doesn't we have an entirely different cost basis for the new owner that dramatically changes valuation so we want to make sure we're not in that kind of position the accounts as far as shopify amazon any marketing accounts like Facebook ads, uh, Google ads, things like this. We want to make sure that all of those transfer. Now, some of these accounts, they need some little specialized as far as processes in order to get them to transfer. And so there's there's technical details in the weeds yeah. there specifically, but we need to make sure that those transfer because essentially with an online digital business, that is the business. That's what people are buying. And so yeah. we need to make sure that we're getting those buyers. Trademark needs to transfer. Mm-hmm, exactly. Yeah. So basically everything that makes the business run, it needs to transfer over to that new buyer. Yeah. Let's just talk about a specific thing that I see with a lot of our clients. It's not all of them by any means, but there are several people who've built a significant size business, profitable business by being the face of their business. Yeah, this this is a tough one. So this one is very dependent on how it can be fixed. And if it can't be fixed, usually we're able to figure it out and like figure out a strategy for it towards it. Sometimes it, uh, it it leads to creative solutions with as far as the buyer and the interaction. But the best ways I've seen it done, and to give you a real life example, I'm not sure if anyone here is a fan of Dave Ramsey or just follows yeah. what he does. And so if if you look at him, he has been the face of his brand. I think it's Dave Ramsey Solutions for a very long time. It's always been him. He's been the radio host. It's been him, him, him. As of the last couple of years, you can see he's had other members join his team, become part of the radio ho- 
radio crew, host their own podcast, do their own books, host their own or be on his show and like host it as the Dave Ramsey show. And so you can kind of see he himself is transitioning out of the business. Now, I don't know if that's because he wants to retire, wants to take more time off, if he's looking to sell the business, because if he was looking to sell the business and like not be a part of it for the long term, he's making the right plays. Like I, I can see what's going on in the background. And so like thinking about it that way, because the benefit of why people use their personal brand to build up companies, it's awesome leverage. Like if you have an audience and you're able to leverage that audience and grow that business, like do it. Wonderful. Like that's going to explode growth so much faster and so much better than if you didn't do that. But once you get there, figure out a way to wane basically audience off of you. Um, Now, whether that's introducing new people into the equation, whether that's introducing more like a generic brand into the equation, Something that's like pulling you out of the the spotlight and either putting someone else in or attention or focusing the attention of that spotlight somewhere else on the brand itself. That's what's going to be important here. Because if we don't do that, either the business isn't sellable or you're going to be required to stay on with the business once it's sold. And like most of the transactions I'm involved with, the owners are usually 100% out of the business with the sale. And so usually that's not the desirability for most sellers here. And so that's kind of like some key components to focus on. But you, that was a great point you brought up because that is that is often very difficult. And um, we have to tread it lightly because if done incorrectly and it's not like strategically done slowly, uh, it could disrupt a brand yeah. a lot and hurt a lot of its value. So here's what I'm going to say to anyone who's listening and is going to struggle with that is just plan for it. Just start early. Mm-hmm. Take a couple of years to start introducing either what uh, what Ethan said, either new people that you shine a light on or change your strategy with your brand. Um, because I don't think it's going to work well if you decide you're going to do it all in three months and then slap a for sale sign on it. <laughs> so <laughs> but I think that when I when I think about the pool of people that we serve, that's probably uh, pretty high on the on the list of things that they need to think about today for an exit, maybe three or four years down the road. Mm-hmm. Now, last thing is, cause we're going long here. <laughs> the last thing is document- it's, it's a lot of good stuff. Yeah. It's such good <laughs> stuff. So let's talk about documentation. Wonderful. So everyone's what favorite part. Have? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> write it, write it, write it down. Right. So, so this is important as far as, is what this covers is, is like IP, making sure that is an IP intellectual property, such as patents, trademarks, making sure those, um, if you, if you apply for those, or, you know, if you qualify for those, I should say, like you have those done, um, like for Amazon FBA based businesses, basically having a trademark for brand registry on Amazon is essentially a requirement for buyers today. So that's, that's like a necessity, um, for Shopify based brands. It's, it's a nice to have, it's not a need to have, but still having it, it's, it's helpful. And it's not something that I also get the question of, Hey, will a trademark improve my valuation by 10 grand, 20 grand, 50 grand? doesn't really work that way. It helps more into the overall confidence and defensibility and protectability of the business. So that's where it's it's most value as far as is how it helps you. Uh, but the biggest part of documentation is SOPs, standard operating procedures. And so this is basically what you do in the business, have it, have it recorded, whether you want to write it down, whether you want to screen record a video. Um, I know, you know, myself, I'm not a big writer, but I can, you know, click a button, record a video and just talk through my process out loud and that'll be recorded. And so like I, <laughs> I've had, I've had a ton of hours on some of the business that I've sold just in recorded video. And like, I've had the comments from, from those buyers, like Ethan, like, we think we know you like really well. We we know like the words you pronounce weird. Like that's so well. I didn't even know I did that. So like they they know my dialect even better than I do, apparently. Um, just because they listen to my voice just recording things so much. And so I find like that is an easy way. But if you like to write it down, usually writing it down is is easier to update because then you just have to go change a couple lines of text when things do um update. Software is always updating. So if you're like you're going through your Facebook ads process and like documenting it. Facebook ads changes every week. So, so it's, it's easier to update if it's in a written format, but basically having the knowledge transfer process. Now, whether that knowledge is from you, whether that knowledge is from members of your team, basically having that down in either like a written or video format such that it could be passed off to a buyer such that basically that wisdom, that knowledge gained from the business can be then transferred over to a buyer. And basically the business can still be repeated even with, you know, a different driver in the head seat here. So that's kind of the main 
um, documentation focus here, as well as the main reasoning for it, is because it helps in all the other aspects of transferring over, keeping the business safe and sustainable such that um, a new buyer can take it over. Perfect. So I just want to recap here. I think that that was a great list you gave us. So it's number one is financials. Number two is growth. Like plan so that you have growth trajectory, even if it's low growth, but it's profitable. That's okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, Transferability. Make sure that you can hand these assets over, including team, perhaps. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And then documentation that you have some SOPs, standard operating procedures that show people how the business would uh, operate without you or how they will operate the business. And it's really important even now, even if you're not selling for a few years, because if you get hit by a bus next week, (laughs) you're going to be off for a while and you'll need to have uh, people help you out. So all of this is really a good practice for you today to move towards a sale. Now let's talk about quickly um, a little bit of uh, creating a message for a potential buyer, like why would they want to buy this business? And there are a couple of things that you mentioned to me that I thought make a lot of sense. And so the first one is focusing on like the strengths and the opportunity of the business. Can you just share quickly um, what you see that is, um, I guess what you see that works for people? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, basically every, most every buyer I speak with, their goal for the business is to grow it. Now, some buyers just want to keep it as is, but usually the case is, hey, I want to grow this. And so if there aren't any growth opportunities, basically the business is tapped out, that just limits our buyer pool. And it's 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 a supply and demand equation going back to economics. The less uh, demand we have for our business, usually the uh, the lower the valuation and like the offers that we'll get on it. And so with those growth aspects, um, different buyers have different strengths. So based off of what the business needs and can be improved upon, those are kind of the buyers we usually attract. And so what I mean by that is sometimes um, the business has grown and there hasn't been a lot of marketing or a lot of like um, technical, let's say digital paid ad strategy tied to it. And so buyers with that strategy that like see that as a valid opportunity, you know, see this as like a win-win opportunity for them. And that's like how they're approaching this. Sometimes I see businesses that aren't run very well operationally and just have a lot of deficits as far as is structure and processes and things can be optimized and improved and like expenses could be cut and really just like the bottom line could be tightened up and like almost increased profitability overnight. And buyers with good operational expertise will come in. I've seen buyers that have, hey, we're really good at, let's say wholesale or like specific growth channels um, that they that they specialize in, Amazon, Shopify. They're like, oh great. Like you haven't done a lot. You maybe you maybe you've done um enough like proof of concept. So kind of like the best growth opportunities are, hey, I I really specialize, let's say Shopify based brand building businesses. We just started Amazon four months ago. It's it's been growing month over month. I don't really know what I'm doing, um, but it's working. That's that's like mouth is watering for people with Amazon experience that are comfortable with Shopify based experience. You're like, great, like you just proved the concept. Now we're just going to add fuel to the fire and grow it. And so, uh, as far as like what growth opportunities are available when we're considering buyers, it's very subjective to the specific buyer itself because they all come from such different backgrounds and basically yeah. based off of where their strengths are. That's like what's going to get them excited about the business. But most of them are marketing opportunities, operational opportunities, strategic kind of opportunities that maybe they have with other brands they already own or in partnership with. Um, so that's usually what us what I see. But sometimes it's a, like a wide range of like what they're yeah. looking to do with the business. Things like I didn't even consider. It's like, oh, that's that's fascinating. Or even like common ones these days are some more on the technical side, applying AI to it now that that's the thing. So like th- those weren't conversations I was having a year ago, but those are conversations I'm having this year. So even, even factors like that can do, do change over time too. So I think what I'm hearing you say is like attracts like. So mm-hmm. if, you're, if you think the strong part of the business is this particular thing, that's you're going to talk about that to attract someone else who also feels that that's a strength that they can build on or an opportunity. If there's an opportunity, you see an opportunity there and someone fills that need, they're going to be attracted to your business. So interesting and worth considering. Now let's just wrap it up with the biggest deal breaker. And that. Yeah. 
Confidence. Yes. That's uh so a lot of a lot of this, even though we've been talking numbers, hard data, you know, kind of all these business metrics in this conversation. Um, at the end of the day, we're dealing with people, we're dealing with relationships. This is a, you know, a relationship transaction in the sense of people have to work with people. And so if one party doesn't trust the other, if something breaks that confidence, like you said, Susan, um, most likely the deal isn't going to get done. And so, Why and so the <laughs> So it's like we want to do we want to do business with people we like, especially when we're dealing with like transactions of these sizes. Like you know, we're talking six, seven, eight figures as far as the transaction sizes that we're dealing with, and that's that's it's a lot of money for a lot of sellers. It's like the most amount of money they'll they've seen at that point in their life, and for a lot of the buyers, you know, it's a significant cat or check to cash or to to write. And so, with that being said, it's like we approach our process from. Uh, honesty, transparency, like we really just want to be fully, fully transparent. We, you know, if there's, there's ugly with the business, we, we let the buyers know. And so I've, I found that extremely helpful because, um, I hardly have issues with like establishing trust between the buyers when I'm having those conversations. They don't feel like we're trying to hide anything. They're like, okay, yeah. this is the business as is at face value. Now there are aspects in prepping the business to like improve those roadblocks. Sometimes we, we just, we can't fix it. We can make it as insignificant as we possibly can. But, you know, sometimes that's the business model as far as like how these businesses are built and like, you know, maybe going back to a risk and a dependency. Sometimes like we have those dependencies and we can't really wane off of them. Um, the business can still be sellable, maybe just at a lower mul- multiple, but um, it's a risk we can try to mitigate as much as possible. But we can't eliminate because of it. And so... Um, Right. Exactly. Yeah. No, no. (laughs) Hiding, hiding is the worst thing to do because basically in the offer process, when we start collecting offers, basically all the information we present, the buyers assume to be true and accurate. When we accept Mm -hmm. an offer and go into due diligence process, that's a chance for the buyer to verify that all the information presented is true and accurate. We don't want any surprises coming up at that point because if, if the buyer feels misled, um, anything was purposely done wrong. I can almost guarantee they're going to drop it. Like that's, that's going to go to zero really quick. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some, sometimes accidents happen. Um, uh, something was misstated or like misunderstood in a, in a question being answered. Like that's okay. We can usually like fix that and like get that better as far as relationally. But, um, really once that trust is lost first in the process, no matter like when it occurs, usually it's hard to rebuild. And so that's why this confidence aspect that you brought up, Susan, it's, it's super important to start with and to carry that momentum all the way through because like closing, um, a business is, when we get very close to the finish line, it's a lot more subjective in as far as dealing with emotions and relationships and like these these people personalities than than most individuals who haven't been through the process would expect. They think it's just hard numbers, um, but it it becomes more of a people business as we get closer to the finish line. Wow. And so um, that's that's why this is so important because that is ultimately what gets us the deal closed. Yeah, I, I think it's harder than most people think. It, it's not. Um, it's never just a smooth, simple process. There's always stuff. <laughs> so it's, it's interesting that uh, that that's your number one deal breaker. I'm not surprised. So let's uh, last last thing is you told me that the average business sells in 90 days, which was surprising to me that it was that quick. That's yeah. when you have all your ducks in a row and you're ready. Mm-hmm. That's That's basically when we list to like when the business is actually sold. Now, mm-hmm. for most companies I speak with, when I have that first conversation to when we list, most companies, that's usually six to 18 months. Most companies are not ready from the first time we speak to be able to go and list. Now, there are exceptions. And I've worked with companies for multiple years until they're ready to list. And so that timeline as far as, hey, when you're ready, that's going to vary a lot. Because my approach is I like to have that first conversation and I like to figure out business valuation as far as is where we're at. And based off of knowing, okay, I could sell my business for, let's say 600. We were using that number earlier, 600,000. Mm-hmm. Great. Uh, where, where do you want to sell it at? Is that good for you, Susan? Do you want, do you want to sell it for a million? Do you want to sell it for 1.2 or do you want to sell it for 600? Like that is, that's a personal decision. That's, that's up right. to you. You're like, well, a million, a million was really my goal. It's like, great. Here's what the business needs to look like. Here are the steps you need to take. Here are the things you can improve on, kind of going through some of those earlier examples that we went over those five steps on what you can do over time to be able to grow that business. Now, sometimes that gap only needs three months. Sometimes that gap needs, you know, 24 months. It kind of depends on where you want to go. But good news is like, at least if you know where you are, 
and know where you want to go, you can kind of figure out the roadmap of how to get there. So true. So listen, where can people connect with you? Yeah. So if anyone has any questions, wants to dive into this further, wants to get a business valuation to kind of figure out your roadmap, like I just mentioned, email me at ethan at quietlight.com. That's E-T-H-A-N at quietlight, which is Q-I-E-T and then L-I-G-H-T.com. And so more than happy to speak with anyone um, in regards to that. And also, I know Susan will put it in the link in the show notes too, so we can get that covered. Um, I'm happy to dive into this more (laughs) because I know we covered a lot. It's like drinking through a fire hose. As you can see, there's a lot of components and each business is different. And so some of the aspects I talked here today may not apply to you, but others will and vice versa. And so um, every situation is very unique. So it's each, each business is basically like a puzzle for us to kind of solve and figure out once we have that conversation. So cool. What an amazing world we live in, though, that we are right. even Isn't it fun? Yeah. yeah. Talk about selling a business that is mostly virtual. There's no brick and mortar location, although mm-hmm. you can. Too. Listen, thank you for all the time you've spent prepping for this call and showing up. And uh, I really, I really appreciate it. I think what you shared was just like a huge wealth of information. So thank you so much for that. I really appreciate it. Now, remember, guys, you can connect with Ethan. You can either find it on the show notes or in the um, in the blog post that goes along with this episode. We also have a couple of different uh, episodes about selling your business, not using a broker like Ethan, but things that you might want to consider. But what I want you to walk away from this episode with is thinking about how this is a possibility for you and what might you know, what might be possible for you in your life if this is your end goal. Oh, that's all I got. I'll see you again Wonderful, soon. Wonderful, Susan. Thanks so much. Thanks so much. Bye. Hey there. Are your sales a lot slower than you thought they would be? So frustrating. You know you have a good product and you're just kind of stumped, wondering what you're missing and what it's going to take before you'll get the sales you want every day. So I want to share a free workshop I made for you. Before you start making more changes on your website, I want you to take a little bit of time and watch this. Spend 40 minutes with me and you're going to see why you're not getting the sales that you want and you will be clear on what it is you really need to do to move the needle. I'm almost positive it's not changed something on your website. Head on over to the socialsalesgirls.com forward slash sales every day and go have a watch. This is training from our inner circle. It's in our foundations unit. Our members get it right away and they leave feeling confident about their site, their product, their pricing, and they're ready to get on the path to success. I want to share that with you. So the URL is thesocialsalesgirls.com sales every day. I'll stick it in the show notes. See you soon.